Will you take your Bibles again, please, and turn to the first chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, as we complete the studies from last week, which we started, Who Made the Universe? And you heard arguments from some of those who deny that God created the universe. And we continue this morning as the rationale for believing that the universe was made by God. Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first five verses, even though we might look at a few other verses this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Now, Father, again, just as Moses was guided by the Holy Spirit to write for us, so we pray that that same Spirit will guide us not only to speak but to listen. Clarify things for us, our God, concerning the creation you have made for us to live in. And we pray that we might take care of it as you desire us to do. So again, I pray that the words of my mouth or from my mouth and the meditation in our hearts will be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I called your attention again to uh, the... Um, I thought I had brought it, the words of Robert Joshua. And he talked about scientists climbing up the ladder and then when they get up there, they find out that theologians were already there. When we look at the universe, it is hard for us to conclude that this is not the creation of an intelligent mind. This has led some recently to come up with the idea of the intelligent design, which has been flatly rejected by scientists and philosophers and even by some Christians because of what they see as flaws in it. We started last week by looking at the origin of the universe, that the creation exists because God created it. The creation was not always there, and there are some who profess to be Christians who believe that the creation existed before God created it, and the question I have, who created the first one? <laughs> This morning we want to look at the order, the order of creation. I'll tell you what I mean by that. In Genesis chapter 1 it is said that the earth, the world was, the earth was without form, with, was void, there was nothing there, was darkness. This is a mystery. People have tried to understand what this, what does this mean? Why didn't God build or create a world that just came up with everything? Well, 
I don't have an answer for that. God could have done it, but that's not the way he did it. (laughs) He has given us a world that is orderly. And I want you to see this because in seeing the order of the world, you will see how intelligent, what kind of a mind must have been behind the creation of a world like this. As you look at the world, as you investigate it, you see intelligence all over the place. It is not what Bertrand Russell called the, col- the random collocation of things, that it just happened. Um, we had our carpets done this past week, and our house is an uproar right now because we moved all the stuff and put it in the middle of the house. And you know, I wish I could just say, okay, everything back. <laughs> and I wouldn't have to move a sofa. I wouldn't have to put a a table back. But no, it doesn't happen that way. It didn't happen that way in creation. God didn't just put everything together and all of a sudden, bingo. No, that's not the right word. That's a bingo. The universe is the result of an intelligent, deliberate act done by someone with a mind that is beyond ours. I'll take you through some scriptures The first is Psalm 104, verse 21. Listen to what it says. O Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your glory. That's Psalm 104, verse 21. In wisdom thou hast made them all. The world is full of your wisdom. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, which by the way, Psalm 147 says, the understanding of God is unsearchable. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says, the wisdom of God is unsearchable. That means that none, no human being has a full possession of the wisdom of God. We shall see what that is in a minute. The word wisdom, in the first two passages, there's one more to come, it's a special Hebrew word which speaks of being able to observe a thing and seize what is behind it. So when the psalmist says, O Lord, how many of your works in wisdom you have created, he's looking at it, he's able to use his own wisdom and see that it takes wisdom to really Bring into existence what is. The same Hebrew word is used in Proverbs Proverbs 3.19. However, when we come to Psalm 136 and verse 5, Psalm 136 verse 5 reads this way. To him that by wisdom... Some of your translations will have the word skill... Who by skill. This is a Hebrew word different from the first two. This Hebrew word is speaking of knowledge that exists beyond the ability of human being to comprehend. So even when we can say by wisdom you made it all, we do not understand that wisdom. We cannot grasp that wisdom. 
That wisdom belongs to God alone, not even to the angels. So, so what we have here in this word is a word that speaks about superior knowledge. It is not someone who gathers data and then comes to conclusion, but someone who is in himself wise, skilled, and every skill of the human being, every wisdom that is expressed by a human being comes from God, says Daniel chapter 2. We, don't, we have to look. We have to, we have to conclude. We have to put things together. We, we have to study. One of the darling atheists in the world was a man by the name of Anthony Flew, F-L-E-W. Whenever people want to talk about atheism, they would turn to Anthony Flew. Of course, he has taken backseat to Richard Dawkins and some of the others in our time. But listen to Anthony Flew, who was an ardent atheist. Listen to what he, the conclusions he came to. He said this, So now I want you to listen. Until now, this is how I see the universe. But having studied more of the universe, I have come to the conclusion that only a super intelligence can give explanation for origin. Only a super intelligence. So this was not some simple-minded man who came to the conclusion that it has to take an intelligent mind to bring into the world, into existence, a world like we know it. And listen to Psalm 148 that was read this morning. He commanded. This is what God says is to be. And it was. The world is intelligible. And the one who says that, the man who said that the world is intelligible, was a physicist, John Pokenhorn, at Cambridge University. Brilliant, brilliant mind. Let me give you some of his background. He's a distinguished uh, physicist. I'll jump over certain things because I want to come back to that. Distinguished physicist at, at uh, Cambridge. His area of expertise is theoretical physics. And he was a professor of mathematics, mathematical physics at Cambridge. And I don't remember how many years he was there. Having spent all that time together, and I'll quote him again, but I want you to know this. You know what he did at the end of his studies? He became a priest. <laughs> he gave up his professorship at Cambridge. Having studied for years, the universe. And he's written a little book called The Way the World Is. And he said, one of the reasons I came to the conclusion that the world is intelligent is because behind the, behind the creation of the world, I see intelligence. And when I studied the life of Jesus Christ, I had no other conclusion but to leave what I'm doing to proclaim the gospel story. Richard Dawkins liked to say that anyone who's a Christian is a fool. No man who is in his right mind, says Dawkins, would ever believe that God creates this world. Well, John Porkinhorn does. 
And he's not a fool. No doubt he was at Cambridge the same time because that's where, um, well, I, I think that Dawkins is, is in Oxford, um, but they're cousins. <laughs> Listen to how A.W. Tozer defines wisdom. Here is it. This, this is just amazing. Wisdom is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning so that there can be no need to guess or conjecture. Wisdom sees everything in focus, each in its proper relation to all, and is thus able to work toward a predestined goal with flawless precision. You see, when God said, let there be, we don't understand why the earth was without form, but there was a purpose behind it, because God is going to show us what kind of a God is able to bring a world into existence like this, and then not only, not only is he going to form, but he's going to fill He's going to fill the world with his wisdom. And so, intelligence is the first thing we see when we study the creation. Do you remember what happened when those astronauts at the backside of the moon and they came and saw the earth and the side that no human eyes had seen? The first thing that came to their mind was not Buddha. Nothing. No. The person who came to their mind in the beginning, God. God. I can't look at the universe except I see his signature everywhere. God. What intelligent God he must be. What wise God. He's going to put everything now into focus. This formless world is going to be filled with his wisdom. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 5 tells us not only that it was an intelligent God, but God made a universe that was intricate. I should say is rather than was. An intricate universe. Psalm 42 verse 5. Thus says the Lord, the God who created the heavens and stretched out its ends, who spread out the earth and its offspring. In theology, and I will not bore you with this, in theology, there are three terms that we use to talk about the order in creation. The first is what is known as the cosmological argument. Don't worry about that, I'll tell you what it is. The cosmological argument. This argument may be stated this way. Everything begins and must have an adequate cause. The universe was created. The major premise for this expression is every house is built by someone. And God built the universe. Every house is built by someone. 
don't know what this has to do with the message, but I was watching part of the news from Toronto last night and uh, watched some of those houses in, in, in Buffalo where the snow is now dropping into the, into, the, into the homes of the people because it is too heavy on the roof of, of, of the people. In other words, the foundation is not strong enough to deal with the weight of the snow. Ah, friends. God has built us a world that is adequate for you and me to live in. And with his promises, there isn't a thing we face in this world that the God who made the universe is not capable of taking us through. That's what he's saying here. Every, every, every effect has a cause. And God's not an effect. God's not an effect. God is a cause and no one caused him. So the cosmological argument is that because everything is built by someone, the universe was built by God. And because God is not an effect, God is not made by anyone else. Secondly, the teleological. Teleological. And this simply means this. Order and useful arrangement in a system implied... The universe is characterized, characterized by order and useful arrangement. Therefore, the, the universe has an intelligent and free cause. And Psalm 94 says this, He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that forms the eye, shall he not see? It has indeed been objected that there may be order and useful arrangements without design. Whoever heard about that? Except in a postmodern world, perhaps. Because a postmodern world doesn't have beginning or end. It only has, you're there. <laughs> but in this, we see order. In a teleological argument, we're saying, listen, look, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. It's, it's, it's not something just put together. There's relationships to these things. There is an ontological argument. And this simply means this. That this argument is on the very idea that the reason I think of God is because God is. The reason I think, think that thing I went through. The reason I think of God is because God is. My friends, we don't think of things that, you know, <laughs> nothing. How can you think of nothing? So, some, someone asked Aristotle, how do you define nothing? You know what he said? Nothing is what rocks think about. <laughs> the reason I think of God is because it is possible for God to exist. But when I look at a world, it is impossible to think that he doesn't exist. This is why the Bible says, only a fool says there is no God. Because when he looks at the order of creation, when he sees the relationship of things in, re in creation, how can you conclude that this is just random collocation? That it just happened to be there. You know, if I, if I go home 
later on today, and, and I sit at my desk and I open the drawer and I discover a million dollars, I'll say, someone has broken into our house. <laughs> Just didn't get there. Someone had to put it there. And I'm going to tell you what laws were broken. It's not the laws of nature that was broken that the money is there. It's the law of Salem. Someone broke into my house. <laughs> so you cannot, you cannot think of what of nothing. Every time we, we think of something, we think of how it relates to something else. So here we have then these three arguments. And when we think, my friends, in terms of order, listen to this. This again in Dr. Dr. John Porkinhorn. Listen, I'll try to read this very slowly. As he's talking about one world and the way the world is, Porkinhorn said this. In the early expansion of the universe, there has to be a close balance between the expansive of energy driving things apart and the force of gravity pulling things together. If expansion dominates, then matter would fly apart too rapidly for condensation into galaxies and stars to take place. Nothing interesting can happen in so thinly spread a world, a thinly spread world. On the other hand, if gravity dominates, the world would collapse in on itself again before there was time for the process of life to get going. For us to be, for us, for us to be possible requires a balance between the effect of expansion and the contraction which at the very early epoch of the universe history has to differ from the equality by not more than one in ten to the sixtieth part. Good night. What is that? He knows what it is. The numerate, he says, the numerate at such a degree of accuracy is required. And he said, I have to go to Paul Davis to tell you what that means. He said this. He points out that it is for, for all the balances for it to just happen. He points out that it is just the same as aiming at a target an inch wide on the other side of the observable universe, 20,000 million light, ways, light years away and hitting it on the mark. I have another one by Paul Davis I thought was quite interesting. Paul Davis says, if this universe was just random collocations, it is hard to resist the impression that the present structure of the universe, apparently so sensitive to minor alteration in its numbers, has been carefully thought out. Thought out. Listen to what it says for the Big Bang to make sense, the way the, 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 the scientists see it. And this is a scientist talking. It would require 1,000 billion, billion, billion years for the Big Bang to make sense. It would require 1,000 billion, 
billion, billion years. The Big Bang to produce a universe, please listen, that could sustain life by accident. Someone had to think it out. Order. God said, out of nothing, let there be. And then the universe came into existence. And then God says, and all the let there be now, let there be light and let the light be. Each time God is commanding what his universe is to do. He, he's not saying, I create the universe and I create light and let everything evolve from that. No, God says, this is what light will do. This is what the earth will do. This is what the plants will do. And God gives order and order. Listen, friends, there are some things I do not understand with what God has done. And, and I came across this answer years ago. Someone said to me, if you were God, what would you do? And I said, that is the easiest question to answer. If I were God, I'd do what God does. <laughs> what else would I do? It's when I try to take this little peanut brain of mine and say, this is what I think God should be doing. My friends, that's impossible because we do not have, please listen, we have the true truth in the words of Francis Schaeffer. But we do not have exhaustive comprehension for knowledge. Exhaustive comprehension means that we understand fully, completely, perfectly everything that God did. No, we don't. And there's a reason why God made it that way. Here's the reason, friends. Because God wanted you and he wanted me to search out the universe and to see how wonderful a God he is. See, science is a gift from God. Science does not contradict the scriptures, true science. Because logically it says this could not happen apart from this. And this happened because of this. And that's exactly what the scriptures say. The scriptures doesn't tell us anything differently. And when you read the works of Lennox and Porkinhorn and others who are Christian, who believe in the, 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 the creation and the creator, my friends, your heart just wants to sit back. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting down, I'm reading this. Romans 11.33, all the depth, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And Psalm 8.3 says, Lord, you have made me out of that vast, vast, incomprehensible wisdom of yours, and you have put me here on earth, and you say, look at it. And the only conclusion I can come to is, in the beginning, God. That gives me meaning. That gives meaning to our existence, friends. That we are not just here passing time. That we are here by the purposes of God. Thirdly, intelligence. And from intelligence, we see intricateness. And from there we get to the invitation. What do I mean by invitation? Psalm 8, 6 says this. Thou hast made man... To rule over the works of thy hands. Thou has made man to rule over the works of thy hands. How does that hit you? 
you know, my son is coming home this week. I think he is anyway. I haven't heard from him for a week. And what if when he comes home, Wednesday or Thursday, whatever day he's coming, I say to Christopher, now, Christopher, your mother and I have a bank account of $3.5 million in the bank. And I want to give that to you for you to use it whichever way you want. You know what he would do? He would call 911. <laughs> Say, something has flipped with my dad. Cannot, he couldn't comprehend that his mom and dad have $3.5 million in the bank. I remember I was watching Flintstones the other day and he was sure the bank had made a mistake. <laughs> and he thought that $30 was just a little bit too low for the bank to say he had, only to find out it was 15 not 30 <laughs> But listen, friends, listen to, what, listen to what this text says. You have made them to rule over the works of your hands. God says there's a universe. The visible and the invisible. You'll be able to send rockets and you'll be able to send ships and you'll be able to do this and the other with the universe. But don't forget, don't forget who made it all. Don't forget that. The reason you need to remember it is because if you do not remember who made the universe, you will miss the reason for meaning and responsibility and accountability in life. You know why, my friends? Do you know why right now there are people struggling with how to take care of the universe and call it Mother Nature and the rest of it? It's because we have missed the purpose for which God has given us the universe. The first thing he said when he gave it was take care of it. Take care of it. Don't abuse it. Don't misuse it. And, and, and the world, the United Nations, you know, climate changing and all this stuff, they're going crazy over it. Listen, friends, from the time God created the universe, he said to Adam and Eve, take care of it, don't abuse it. We don't need the United Nations to tell us how to take care of the universe if we are truly followers of Christ. We have been given. He has invited us to share in his dominion. He made and he named. And listen to what he did. He made the world and he named everything in it. And then he said to Adam, I will name you and you will name everything else. And whatever Adam called them, that's what they were called. What, what, a, what an invitation. God invites his creatures to enter into rulership with him. To see the universe as, as, as a gift from him. So that we would not have to live our lives. How meaningless. I was, I, excuse me again, I was watching, I don't even know what I was watching on, on, on television, and they had to do something with one of the, the funny stations or something, and they started to show some advertisement of some of the shows that are coming up. And you know what conclusions I came to? Man, this world is barren. 
when you see what is being, I mean, there are things flashing in front of your face. And, and I thought, good night, why would I want to sit down and watch those things? No, God, God has given us a world, my friends, where we are able to enter in and to explore. <laughs> Science has explained nothing. The more we know, the more fantastic the world becomes and the profounder the surrounding darkness. So we discover, we discover, and we keep discovering out of what we discover. And my friends, please listen. The research into the whole character and ability and omnipotence of God will continue into eternity. When we die and when we go to heaven, we will not stop learning. In heaven, there would be nothing to keep us from exploring. Because please remember, when we die, when we go to heaven, we don't become like God. We become like God in character, but not with attributes that belong to God. So we will continue to learn. We will continue to explore. And we have no concept of what that, probably if you ask the ladies that they, they, they studying the book on heaven, they can tell you what it will be like, but I'm not too sure of that. But they have been discovering something about heaven. Heaven is beyond your imagination and mine. And what we learn, my friends, when we get to heaven, we can only learn when we get to heaven. Well, I've just jumped to my last point. I had some other things to say, but that to me, the order of creation, the intelligence of God, the intricacies of, of the creation, and then the invitation for us, for us to enjoy God's creation with him as we discover what he can do. But thirdly, the ownership, the ownership of the universe this almost is an insult to your intelligence, really. To an American citizen, one of the most important things is private ownership. To an American, owning his or her own house is something that he or she longs for. And you, go, you, you walk in certain areas of the city and you will see private property, do not trespass. Isn't it amazing? We can own what we have, but we will not allow God to own what he made. We will not allow God to own what he made. God is the one who gives the order to the universe and order for the universe. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, The earth is the Lord and the fullness and all it contains, the world and those who live in it. And we'll come to that when we get who made me. For he founded it. God does not share creation with anybody else because he's the one who made it. John 1.3 All things came into being by him, Jesus Christ. And apart from him, from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Romans eleven thirty six, for from him 
and through him and to him are all things visible and invisible. There is not a created thing in the entire universe that God cannot say, mine, mine, mine. But thankfully, he's not a selfish God. He says, I'm going to keep it for myself. He has given it to you and to me, but we must recognize, my friends, who owns it all, who owns it all. Listen to this. The works of the Lord are created in wisdom. We view the earth wonder and call, to his, to, and call him to mind. We hear what he says in the world we discover. And God shows his glory in all that we find. Not even the angels have ever been granted to tell the full story of nature and grace. But open to God is all human perception, the mysteries of time and the secrets of space. The sun every morning lights up all creation. The moon marks the rhythm of months in their turn. The glitter, the glittering stars are arrayed in his honor, adorned by his years of they ceaseless to burn. The wind is his breath, and the cloud are his signals, and rain and the snow are the robes of his choice. The storm and the lightning his watchmen herald, the crash of the thunder, the sound of his voice. The song is unfinished. How shall we complete it? And where find the skills to perfect all of God's praise? At work in all places, he cares for his people. How great is the Lord to the end of our days. A father put his little girl to bed. And he went down to finish his reading. And in the middle of his reading, a storm came. And he resisted the temptation to go upstairs to see what his daughter was doing in the midst of the storm. And so he tiptoed very, very lightly, gently, opened her door, and found her standing at the window with the thunder and the lightning blazing in her direction. And he rushed to her and said, What are you doing? And she said, Daddy, I wanted to give God my best pose. Because God is taking a picture of the universe and he has given me the privilege of being a part of it. My friends, the world we live in is owned by God and we shall see in days to come the kind of world he made was a world based on righteousness. And when we violate those, we commit suicide. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Father, 
Oh God, whatever is unfinished, I pray that you will complete and open our understanding, Father, to understand one thing, that this world is not made up of random collocations. God made it. And even when there are storms and when there's snow like there is in Buffalo, whenever the river rises and whenever the storms become too much, help us like this little girl by faith, to pose for God because God answers us in the thunder and the lightning. He's the creator of it all and we are his creation. Oh, how he loves you and me. Amen.